The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Society Podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is up and Peep is here. She just jumped on my desk ready to go. (laughs) Um, It is Thursday, April 28th right now. Um, It is a sunny day for the weather recap here in New York. Still a little crisp, but sunny. It's actually sunny here too for once. I just thought they were talking about we might get a third La Nina weather thing, which basically means in summary, it rains all the time. So I'm hoping we avoid that. But yeah, sunny here too for once. Miracle. Nice. So what was that? It's Daisy. I'm just going to get them to move her out. Can you hold on one second? Okay. The pets just so desperately oh want to be involved. <laughs> Rid- riding on our coattails. <laughs> and because we're recording here early today, it's like 7.45 a.m. here. So everyone's getting ready for the day. Daisy's super excited, has energy after her 12-hour sleep. So she's wants to be part of it all. <laughs> Poor pets. <laughs> so our episode on Orsolia came out today. Hope everyone is finding it interesting. And as of now, there's really been no updates. I don't know if there'll be updates by the time this episode comes out. But as of right now, on the 28th, still no major updates, really. Just kind of more gossip bullshit. I think we said in the last episode that um, there was so much released anyway that there probably wasn't a lot left to come out. Yeah, I don't really know what else they could say. I did read an article that said that David Benola um, went and got a taco before he went and turned himself into police. So that was groundbreaking news. Hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, he went to Chipotle, right? Uh, yeah, it? something like that. And they said he always or came Or was in. that after? It was the day he turned himself in. So it was a few. It was after the murder, but a few hours before he turned himself into police. And he got a, a cup of water. And I was like, he seems like that type of person. <laughs> and asked for the bathroom coat. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have seen a few comments, people asking if the family have made a statement, which they haven't. Um, and I read an, an interesting article today, which I'll put on the blog from the Queen's Chronicle. And it kind of talks about how Asoya did have an affair with David and um, what the situation might have been. There's a quote and it said, she might have felt stuck in a catch-22. What I read about is a lot of victim blaming. She got involved in an extramarital affair. Everything we do in life comes with consequences, but murder should never be the answer or the consequence, which I thought was kind of an interesting um, topic because I've seen many comments about you know her affairs and maybe some of them border on victim blaming a little bit so I found that interesting so stupid Mm. I hate when people do that like well she maybe if she wasn't cheating on her husband like (laughs) uh yeah but doesn't mean she should have been murdered and we also don't know the dynamics of the relationship maybe like they could have had an open marriage maybe the husband had a bunch of affairs like we don't know there could be you know it could have been a part of their lives it's not up to anyone else to judge what anyone else does agreed But today we are going to talk about, today we are going to scare you into never taking an Uber or a Lyft or anything again because we're going to talk about rideshare horror stories gone wrong. Yep. Um, But before we get into that, do you have any 
big weekend plans. I'm trying to make this a thing where we talk about our big weekend plans. <laughs> well, it's my husband's birthday tomorrow. Um, his Ooh, family are out from New Zealand. So they have like, because of COVID, they haven't been or seen each other for like two, over two years. So hoping it doesn't rain, we can go out for lunch somewhere nice or something like that. But other than that, not too much. What about you? Hmm. Um, I'm not doing much. I am going to help my aunt just moved and I'm going to help them paint the new townhouse that they're moving into before they actually move all their shit into it. So I'll be doing manual labor all weekend. <laughs> I do actually too have book club tonight. I think I've spoken about book club before. It's a monthly book club where we go and drink some wine and talk about a book, but I haven't finished the book yet. So I'll have to try and do that today. You have time. It's so early yeah. there. Yeah, no, I've got like 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess now we can get into the the Ubers and Lyfts. I think probably everyone knows what Uber, Lyft, I think there's other companies, I'm sure, but those are the two that I think of automatically. Do you have that in Australia? Uh, we have Uber. I don't think we have Lyft here. I have Lyft, used Lyft when I was in the US last time. Um, I think we did have one called Ola. I don't know if that's kind of died though, but there is also one. I don't know the name of it, but it's a female only one. So you have female drivers and- well, That's cool. Um, only female passengers? Yeah, yeah. But I, I, again, I haven't. Re- I feel like during the pandemic that might have suffered a bit because no one was really going anywhere or doing anything. So, mm-hmm. um, but that was a good idea, I thought. But where I live, yeah. I don't. I don't live in like a metropolitan city. I live in like a, a busy area, but like our rideshare options are a bit more limited than say people who live right in Sydney and things like that. Yeah, I've never really used them where I live. Like I live in a popular town, I guess you could say, but it's not like cityish. I'm sure if I needed to go somewhere, I could, but I never take one just because of stories like this. And <laughs> I don't want to, the only reason I wouldn't have my car would be because if Mike had it and I'm not going to take an Uber by myself because I'm a scared baby. So, <laughs> but like when do- we go to like Boston or Baltimore or on vacation, we'll take them together. I do. Usually when I do get an Uber, it's usually after a night out with friends and we kind of split it. You know, you can, I think you can put in three stops. So depending mm-hmm. on who is the last stop, you might be alone with the driver for a little bit. But I guess it's a little bit of safety in numbers. You know, if everyone else knows the driver that you're with, it's a little bit safer. Um, I was thinking about it the other day though when I was doing these notes and I have had a lot of actually creepy drivers like who give me their <laughs> card and their number and like, you know, no one's actually done anything bad but it's probably inappropriate driver behavior really yeah I I, I can see how it could very easily go wrong I think it's funny to think back because this uber and ride shares it's even though it seems like it's been around for a few years it's still a newer thing like when I used to go out to the bars when I was younger like 21 22 with my friends we'd have to call like actual taxis and like looking back on it now I was like I could never imagine like calling a taxi now and like oh, no. waiting for a taxi the main little like area where we go out if we go out for dinner or go out for drinks there's a taxi rank there so sometimes the uber surge pricing anyway is so insane that we just go oh, and yeah. get a normal cab anyway because I'm like I'm not paying that much to get home when a normal shitty cab will be way less so just depends depends on the time I remember one time me and my friend we used to go out we had this one taxi driver that we liked and it was this woman and she was kind of like white trash but she was fun and we liked her we didn't feel scared to like get in the car with her (laughs) but then one day so she gave us like her card so we would just call her and then one day for some reason something happened where like we couldn't call her we just took like another 
taxi just like probably some dumb like drunk shit and it was like the same company and she found out and she called us and yelled at us <laughs> is why that you, insane why are you cheating on me <laughs> she was like how dare you have john come and pick you up after all i've done for you and i was like i just need to get home <laughs> ma'am sorry <laughs> so yeah that's why i don't go out or do anything anymore so obviously when you have a stranger come and pick you up you would think that you'd be safer than you are considering it's all on an app and tracked pretty well that it seems like it'd be easy for anyone to get caught doing bad things but there are a fair amount of murders and crimes that start with uh, a ride share so we're going to talk about some of those today some of them we've posted about some of them are older some of them are newer so that's where we're at christina's murder is a sad and tragic case like so many others in allegheny county it was a senseless killing that left four children without a mother. February 10th, around 9.15 p.m., Uber driver Christy Spacuza picked up 22-year-old Calvin Crew of Penn Hills along Brinton Avenue in Pickheron. Trouble started midway into that trip, and police say Spacuza's personal dash camera inside her car captured the terrifying moments before Crew took down the camera. Police say Crew leaned forward and put a gun to Spacuza's head. For several minutes, Spacuza begged for her life, saying, Come on, I have a family. I'm begging you. I have four kids. The first one we're going to speak about happened in February this year, February 10. A man named Calvin Crew, who was 22 years old from Pennsylvania, used his girlfriend's phone and her account to order an Uber. A 38-year-old mother of four named Christina Spacuza accepted the job and picked Calvin up. As Christina is the innocent victim in this story, I just wanted to give a bit of background into her life. She was born on March 19, 1983, and she was raised in Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Her family called her Christy and have said that she enjoyed art, crafting, and her Bible study. They also said that she was always smiling, always positive, and always loving. Thankfully, and kind of horrifyingly as well, Christina had a dash cam installed in her vehicle, so the whole, basically, event leading up to her murder was caught on camera. Um, Christina left her fiancé and her kids to do an Uber run on Thursday, February 10. Her fiancé, Brandon, was the one who had actually bought the dash cam for her because he was worried about her driving alone and, you know, the people that she might pick up. He began to worry when she didn't return home from her shift as scheduled. He made some posts on social media on Facebook Uh, February 11, which was the day after, the Friday. He wrote, please help. My girlfriend, fiance, wife is missing. I talked to her at 8.59 p.m. Thursday night. She called to tell me she was leaving Steel City Vapors and doing some Uber rides. She has since gone missing and silent. She always checks in with me every hour and then in caps, always every hour. After talking to her, I put our kids to bed and fell asleep with them. I woke up at 4am and checked my phone. I had no messages or missed calls from her and her phone had been turned off since the 4am mark. This is incredibly out of character for her. She would never not check in. And now close to 24 hours later, I would have heard from her if everything is okay. I've called ERs multiple times. I have called the county jail, but she's not the type to get arrested multiple times. I have called the county medical examiner's office. I have called our bank to check for suspicious activity and nothing. She was driving a silver 2018 Nissan Sentra with Virginia plates. Please, 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 if you see her, call the police, comment here, tell her that her husband is worried sick. 
And then he also goes on with, Uber is being extremely uncooperative with giving me any info. The car cannot be tracked, so says Hertz, as it's a rental. But I was able to get a ping on her phone on Braddock at the light where Braddock splits and basically turns into the tri-borough if you go straight. So he kind of goes on to the area where the phone was pinged. He says that he's notified police they saw her car on camera at 11.20pm last night. She's the most wonderful mother to three young children and stepmom to my 18-year-old. Please, please, please memorize the plate and keep a lookout. I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do ride shares with a rental car. Just side note. Mm, that's interesting. It's even if when you lease a car, like it specifically says you can't do ride shares. So I imagine with a rental, you can't either. Mm. Just random, random fact. <laughs> So I remember seeing at the time the missing person post for her. I um like that was probably how I first found out about the case, you know, that she'd last been seen completing an Uber run and she was missing. Um he her fiance posted this following update a few days later. He said the car was found Saturday morning, so she went missing Thursday night in Pitcairn on 4th Street. Her purse was in the car, but the dash cam was removed. Thank you for the tips on the public places with cameras that the car was seen. Um, he says, I'm holding out hope that Christy will be home soon, but I'm so scared because inside her car was her purse and she, in caps, never, never, ever would leave her purse in the car. The pain is unreal. Sadly, Christy's body was found on Saturday, February 12. Her body was found one mile away from where her car had been dumped. This info about her being found comes from CBS Pittsburgh. Allegheny County homicide detectives are now leading the investigation and could be seen canvassing the area where her body was found for several hours Saturday afternoon looking for and collecting evidence. They asked another Uber driver called Michelle Lansiddle for her kind of comments and she said, it's horrible that one of us has gone missing and we have no protection and now we're worried, are we going to be next? Another Uber driver called Jen Donatella said, it scares me because we have no protection. They both said that as drivers for a rideshare company, they are required to get federal background checks and need a clean driving record so their riders know they're safe, but there is nothing being done to protect drivers. On February 18, police announced that Christy died from a single gunshot wound and that a man named Calvin Crew had been arrested. The Allegheny County Police Department released a statement and basically it just says that, you know, outlines her circumstances. It says that she failed to return home after taking several fares. Detectives determined that Calvin Crew, aged 22, of Penn Hills was responsible for the homicide. They obtained a warrant for his arrest and he was taken into custody in Penn Hills just before 7pm on February 17. Crew is charged with criminal homicide, robbery and tampering with evidence. So as I mentioned earlier, Calvin did order this Uber using his girlfriend's account. Um, as I was doing this, I wondered if he did that because he thought that way a woman driver may be more likely to accept the job and women are generally more vulnerable. That would be my thinking. Why he didn't do a very good job of trying to cover his tracks by using his girlfriend's account. I figured that might have been the reason why he did it. I would think it was more normal if they were together, but apparently they weren't, right? No, she was in another town. Like she was in the same yeah. state, um, but yeah, she was in another town. So he actually, which I'll get into in a minute, but he called her and asked her to order it for him. Yeah, so, so I think like the effort of going through that makes it more weird. Whereas like if me and Mike are together, usually I'll be the one to do stuff like that because I feel like, I don't know, 
girls are just <laughs> more responsible. Girl, <laughs> girl, girl power. We just do that <laughs> shit. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of deceit on that. Like he did it that way. For, like I don't know, maybe he could have been even blocked from Uber or I don't know. There could have been other reasons as well. But I, I was th- my thinking is that would have been part of the reason. Yeah. Investigators said at the time that they believed robbery was the motive for this murder. Police ended up finding the dash cam during a search for evidence in the area that um, around Christie's dumped car and where her remains were found. The dash cam was found one-tenth of a mile from the Uber pickup spot in Penn Hills. Police viewed the footage from the mini, so he wasn't very smart. He just dumped it with the, the no, SD camera the whole thing's camera stupid. Because in, yeah. in the first place, how, like I said in the beginning, it's so easy to be like, all right, who was the last person in the Uber? And it's his girlfriend. And she was like, well, I ordered it for him. <laughs> like the whole thing is so dumb. Um, so police did view the footage from the mini SD card and it recorded audio and video from the front and the back of the car. You can view it online. It's a very sad. Scary. Yeah, it's so scary because he looks scary. Like he gets in, I think he's yeah. wearing a hoodie. He's wearing like a face, a black face mask or a ski mask or something, which I know now you can get away with wearing a ski mask because it's a mask um but yeah he looks scary he's like very menacing yeah and she's just in the front and she like talks to him and he doesn't acknowledge her like I think in the clip anyway you can see him get in the car it's around 9 14 p.m when he gets in the car Christy said the name of the person you know to confirm that it was the right rider and that was Tanea Mullen which is his girlfriend but he doesn't really respond he just gets in and you know seems sullen and mad and whatever anyway Christy starts driving away but around 20 minutes into the trip, I think she also asked him too before that if he had a, if she if he had a good day. Like, did you have a good day? And he just kind of you know, was a dick. Yeah. So almost 20 minutes into the trip, right near the drop-off point, Calvin pulled out a gun and he pushed it into her neck. You see all this in the video. He kind of slides over from the seat where he was sitting to behind the driver's seat, and he pushes it into her neck. Keep driving, he told her. Four seconds after he pushed the gun into her neck, she can be seen to reach up and touch the gun. I guess she's kind of seen what it is. And then she says, you've got to be joking. And he says, it's a gun. And she said, come on, I have a family. And he said, I've got a family too, now drive. And then she goes, I'm begging you, I I have four kids. So he told her multiple times to complete the trip. And at one point he grabbed her ponytail to kind of control her head and I guess keep it on the road. She at 9:34 so 20 minutes after that she said please take that off me and he said do what i say and everything will be all right so not much longer after that i guess he realized that it was all being recorded and he reached forward and yanked the dash cam from the vehicle I feel like i did read an article at the time that he made her drive around to different kind of cash machines and atms and get money out i can't find that article again so i don't know if that ended up being um misleading information and but i haven't read too much else about what actual robbery was carried out it has that must have happened or something like that i was just thinking for them to say it's robbery something like that must have happened but also for this guy to go into this knowing he was gonna rob the uber driver it's such a gamble because if they were gonna rob me just like whatever's on my person i'd never have cash on me they would just get my credit cards which uh, that can all be tracked my cell phone like that can be tracked they would literally get nothing from me yeah like it's such a risk to go into this and you just get a random person it's not like you're targeting like some rich people you're just gonna get a random uber driver who probably doesn't have much on them or even like targeting a store where you know they've taken in cash during the day you'd be more likely to get something than just taking a bet on a random uber driver yeah it's even like they get tips on it's usually all on the phone yeah yeah after Calvin took the dash cam down he instructed Christy to drive to a wooded area where he shot her once in the head 
When her body was found, she was still wearing her COVID mask. Calvin initially told police that he got out of the Uber after the trip was completed and then he walked to the bus station in Wilkinsburg and took the Trafford bus to Pitcairn. They searched CCTV footage and couldn't find him on there. Basically, they couldn't corroborate his story. Mm-hmm. Um, police questioned Calvin's girlfriend. She told them he asked her to order an Uber for him and gave her an address to type in. She was out of town, as we said, so they had this conversation via phone. When police interviewed her a second time, she suddenly remembered that her gun was missing. She said that she'd purchased the 9mm gun at a McKeesport gun shop. And in a criminal complaint, we learned that she texted him while he was in the Uber and said, I'm not going to jail if we get caught. Hmm. So did she know? Yeah. So a lot of people have actually questioned why she hasn't been charged. It seemed like she knew of his plans. Um, She hasn't been charged as of the time of recording. Two days before Christie's murder, Calvin was arraigned on separate gun charges. This info is an article from the Post-Gazette and it says, according to the complaint, Mr. Crewe attempted to purchase a Smith & Wesson 22 caliber pistol in September 2021 at a gun superstore in Marshall despite being legally barred from doing so. He attempted the purchase September 10 but was denied after a record search revealed he was restricted from buying firearms. And it just goes on that basically there was a 2014 incident after he was charged with robbery and theft as a juvenile and then that he'd marked no when he'd asked if he'd ever been convicted of a crime in the statute. So, yeah, basically he tried to buy a gun and he couldn't, so there was a warrant out for him at that time. Mm. So at the end of this month, April 2022, Tanea, the girlfriend, has not been charged. Um, At the end of March, District Judge Kevin Cooper Jr. held the charges against Calvin, which means that he will likely face a trial and he remains in jail currently without bond. So there's actually an update that's happened today, the time of recording, three hours ago in this case. The Allegheny County District Attorney Stephen Zapala announced that he will seek the death penalty for Calvin Crew. Wow. Um, yeah. It says that they believe Christie was killed during a robbery attempt. Um, oh, yeah, here. Yeah. So this and it gives us some more information about the robbery or attempted robbery. Police found that multiple money transfer applications had been opened, but there was no activity within them. So I think maybe she he had tried to make her do it and either she wouldn't or couldn't for whatever reason or maybe the bank stopped it yeah yeah it could have been usually if it's not something you normally do they're going to be like what are you doing so this article three hours ago just confirms that Tanea, the girlfriend still has not been charged um and it says that they're seeking the death penalty because he has a significant history of felony convictions that involve the use or threat of violence and because the killing was done while in the perpetration of a felony. And also just seemed so fucking like random and senseless and cold-blooded. There was no emotion, which yeah. I feel I like know, just... it was just such a dumb crime. Like there was no way For sure. he was not going to get found by using his girlfriend's Uber account. Like especially he... if they're going to like ATMs or anything like that. Mm. So it's a very sad case. I I looked at Christie's fiance's um Facebook and he's understandably very having a very hard time. It's just sad now that all these kids are without a mother and for absolutely no reason. He got no money. He got nothing. There was no need to kill her. No. That's why it's like, you know, the death penalty seems shocking because it's usually more like heinous crimes. Just if you watch the video, you can see what I mean. Like he just gives off bad vibes. Not that that's a reason you get the death penalty, but just was so, there's like no care, no empathy nothing just like cold yeah 
So we don't really need a, a person like that on the streets, at least. No, it sounds like he's going to be in jail for a very long time. So I guess that's the best possible outcome for her family. Yeah. The next we're going to talk about is Ella Goody. She was 32 years old when she went missing on March 9th. My birthday. <laughs> oh, God, it always happens on your birthday. <laughs> I know. And people get mad when I say it, but like it always comes up. March 9th is not a good day. <laughs> when she went missing on March 9th, 2022. And as of right now, she still remains missing. Ella Goody is a mother of two girls, 13 and 14 years old. Her family say she told her daughter she would be back by the end of school last Wednesday after driving someone to Houston. Then she spoke to her daughter on that day, that morning, mm -hmm. and say, you know, make sure that she was going to school, go to school, and her mom was going to be back before she get back from school. That she was just going to do, go mm -hmm. bring this person to Houston, and she was going to come back. Goody had worked as a rideshare driver, but police say she was suspended from doing so at the time of her trip. But family members say she started offering driving services on her own. She, this guy asked her to bring it to Houston. You know, from her heart, she said, yeah, man, give me the money, pay me to bring it to Houston, I will bring it to Houston. Ella's family last spoke to her around midday on March 9th. She was from Lafayette, Louisiana, and told them that she was headed to Texas to drop off a Lyft rider. So if you're thinking that's far, you're right, because the journey is around 218 miles or 3.5 hours in a car. I was even thinking before with the last story we were talking about when um, you said that they were 20 minutes into their ride. I was like, damn, that's a long Uber ride. Yeah. I feel I like I never take one more than 10 minutes, yeah, five I'd minutes. But yeah, I wonder how expensive long 3.5 hour trips are. And that's and with this that too this trip that's three and a half hours one way. So then for her to get back, it would be like a seven hour round trip. It wouldn't even be worth it because you don't get paid for the trip back. No, I, I'm assuming it's factored in. Like it would be when you accept a ride, it would be factored into the price that you have to get back. But yeah, it's still a long time. I feel like it's not because usually you don't go that far. But yeah, I remember one time we took an Uber or something, and we we're talking to the driver and he was from like further away than where we were and we're like why are you out here and he's like well you know i drove someone from there and i dropped them off here so now i'm picking some people up from around here bring them where they need to go and eventually i'll go back home yeah i guess for them the the kind of optimal situation is they'll drive someone and then pick up someone in the area and like just back and forth back yeah. and forth so ella is the mother of two girls aged 13 and 14 this info comes from katc says her family says she told her daughter she would be back by the end of the school day after driving someone to Houston. Her aunt said she spoke to her daughter on that day that morning and made sure that she was going to school. She told them to go to school and her mom was going to be back before she got back from school. That she was just going to go bring this person to Houston and she was going to come right back. Ella had worked as a rideshare driver, but police say she was suspended from doing so at the time of her trip. Family members say she started offering driving services on her own, which is kind of strange because the article says she was suspended, but her um, missing poster said that she was specifically working for Lyft and that this was a Lyft job. So I don't know if her family was wrong. Maybe she was suspended from Uber, yeah. but still did Lyft. I, I don't know. I don't know why she was suspended, if she really was. And if she was, like, I have a lot of questions. I think there's a lot that they've kept close to the chest in this case but if she was suspended how did she find this guy maybe she knew him like there's a lot of things that don't really make sense and they haven't uh, clarified either at this stage well it seems like it was planned 
in advance for her to be like telling her kids like, oh, I should bring this guy to Houston and I'll be back. Yeah. I feel like normally with Uber, you can't schedule it like that. Yeah, I don't know. Like an, an advance one. Maybe more info will come out about that. The police chief says... We do show that on March 9th, her vehicle was picked up on I-10 and headed towards Texas early morning hours. And approximately 12 hours later, it was picked up back in Louisiana, coming back towards the Lafayette area. And then the next day, they picked her vehicle up tracking somewhere north of Dallas. So the FBI and the U.S. Marshals quickly became involved in Ellis' case, and they revealed that the person of interest is a man named Branson Francisco, who's 36 years old. Branson had been due to appear in court on the day that he got the ride with Ella. There was an active warrant for his arrest, and he failed to appear in court for the hearing, which concerned his alleged role in a Christmas Eve shooting in 2018 that critically wounded a man in the town of Cheneyville. So about that shooting, Francisco and another man, Travel Marquez Lewis, they are accused of shooting the man on the side of US-71 and stealing his vehicle. Branson faces charges of... Sorry, I... I'll try to say Branson or Francisco, but they're the same person, just to be clear. Branson faces charges of attempted second-degree murder, conspiracy to commit second-degree murder, obstruction of justice, and unauthorized use of a motor vehicle in connection to the case. And he pled not guilty to all charges. So the March 9th hearing was meant to address his bond. And the arrest warrant that was issued on March 9th um, said that he had to be arrested without bond once he was located. So basically... That he just had to go right to jail when they found him. March 25th, Branson was located and arrested in Missouri. A few days later, on April 1st, Ella's vehicle was recovered also in Missouri, which is not Texas or Louisiana. So mm. we got another state involved now, which also is not that close either. Missouri's up more. Oh, God, yeah. So St. Joseph, Missouri <laughs> is a 12, or nearly 13-hour drive from Lafayette. Yeah. So... Um, like it seems like it would have been a almost 16 hour drive then from Houston to get the car there. So Houston goes across to Lafayette and then up to St. Joseph. So yeah, 815 miles, 13 hours. So it's definitely, he's taken the car a far distance from where they were meant to go. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that far. That's crazy. Uh, like when you look at the map, it's really only one state above Louisiana. Um, Uh, there's Arkansas. Arkansas is in the way, but when you think about it, like they're big states that you have to drive through. Yeah. So yeah, it's far. Louisiana State Trooper Derek Senegal said, they're going to continue to look through that whole vehicle on a deeper level, other than just looking and confirming that's it. Okay, what else can we see? Are there fibers in the carpet? Is there something in the fabric? Maybe we can get a fingerprint off the upholstery or the window or anything like that. We're going to continue to go through the whole vehicle inside and out. He also said, all these things have to be put together and continue digging to figure out what's going on or how we can piece everything together. If there is or could be or maybe there is someone else involved in this thing, we just have to make sure we continue to look and not just say, hey, we're good, we found it, and just close the case. We just can't do that. So we're going to continue looking and exhaust every effort that we have, as you should. Definitely. I feel like they identified the person of interest very quickly. Um, I'd like to know more about how they did that um again just one of those things in this case that they've been very close-lipped about i feel like it had to be through the ride sharing yeah yeah even if even if she wasn't using like the app like if she was just doing it on her own through like if she posted something on facebook that she was offering rides like they still must have communicated somehow yeah on april 18th and 19th please search an area around iowa louisiana for ella 
This article from KATC says state police and search groups gathered south of I-10 near Iowa, Louisiana on April 18th. Several law enforcement crews, including state police air support, LDWF, and some other sheriff's office, searched the rural and wooded areas off the roadway for any evidence. State Trooper Derek Senegal said the last recordings from a cell phone led officials to the search area that they were currently looking at for Ella. Um, of the 50 square miles to be canvassed, so far at that time, nothing had been found. Private property owners in the area are asked to search their properties for anything out of the ordinary to aid in the work being done. And that's really it with that case, sadly. Yeah. I, I just had a look. The last updates were a week ago, but essentially it just reiterates what you've just said. It just says, agency search area, Ella, Good- Ella Goody's phone was last, find no new evidence, um, I feel like there's such a big distance where he could have left her along the way. Um, yeah. You know, even just because her phone was pinging there, the phone could have just been in the car or, you know, I feel like it's just got such a big search area that they need to cover. And if the car has any sort of GPS tracking, like sometimes they can look at the little black box thing that they do, like accident reconstruction with. And you can at least see me like the distance drive. If there was any GPS, I don't know. And I guess, too, they would have to look at her last actual phone use. Like, you know, maybe she used it along the way and it stopped at some point or. Yeah. But, yeah, as of the end of April, she's still missing and there are no updates, unfortunately. Mm. When I posted on Instagram that we were thinking about doing an episode covering these type of cases and I asked if anyone else had any they wanted to share, a lot of people shared this one. Um, It's about the murder of a woman named Samantha Josephson and I actually remember following her case when it happened. It was in 2019 so it was a few years ago now but um, I remember as it kind of all unfolded and her face is very distinctive. Like when I looked it up, I was like, oh, I remember her. I remember her. Yes, that's exactly what I did. I was like, I couldn't remember exactly by name when I was reading the notes. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, yes, I do remember her. Yes. Police are looking for a motive in the chilling murder of a University of South Carolina student. The victim, a 21-year-old senior, was, was seen getting into a car, apparently thinking it was the Uber she ordered. More on this from David Begno. This is the last time she was seen alive. Police say this surveillance video shows Samantha Josephson talking on her phone and getting into what she thought was an Uber early Friday morning. We don't know when Samantha realized she got into the wrong car, but once she did, police say there was no escape. Her father, Seymour, explained why. She had absolutely no chance. None. The door was locked. The child safety lock was on. Police say the driver, 24-year-old Nathaniel Rowland, was not an Uber driver. Samantha was a 21-year-old woman who was born in Princeton, New Jersey. She grew up in New Jersey in Robbinsville. At the time that this all happened, she was attending the University of South Carolina. She was due to graduate in that same year, 2019, and she was majoring in political science. She had plans after her graduation to attend Drexel University School of Law, and she'd earned a full scholarship to Drexel University, as well as a partial scholarship to Rutgers, and she also aspired to practice international law. She was really, seemed to be ambitious, successful, had everything going for her, like, you know, and I think that's why this captured the attention, just because people were like, how can this happen? You know, it can happen to anyone. Yeah. She was a member of the Alpha Gamma Delta sorority and she also studied in Spain and France during her time at the University of South Carolina. So on the night of March 28, 2019, Samantha went out with friends in the Five Points District of Columbia in South Carolina. 
at around 2 a.m. on March 29, so that same night, just early in the morning, she decided that she had enough and she wanted to go home. She ordered an Uber from outside the Blue Dog Bar. According to surveillance footage at 2.09, a black Chevy Impala driven by a man named Nathaniel Rowland pulled up beside her. Samantha got in the car because she thought it was her Uber driver, but it wasn't. He just, I'm assuming, was hoping for this scenario and, you know, hoped that someone would mistake him for their Uber driver. Such a freak accident. Mm. That's just such a perfect storm of horrible circumstances for it to happen. Mm-hmm. When she was inside the car, Nathaniel activated the child locks so the door could only be opened from the outside and she was essentially now trapped in the vehicle. Samantha's friends became worried when she didn't return home and they reported her missing that same day at around 1pm. She wasn't missing for long before they found her at 4pm on March 29, so just a few hours after she'd been reported missing. A Clarendon County coroner was called to a wooded area off a dirt road in an area that was described as difficult to get to because hunters had found a body. When they found Samantha, she had been stabbed to death. This description of her murder is quite graphic, so just be warned about that. It says, using a two-bladed knife, Roland proceeded to inflict roughly 120 stab wounds upon Samantha. During the attack, she attempted to shield herself. One of the strikes went completely through her right hand as she likely used it to protect herself. He also stabbed her in the head with enough force that the knife went through her skull to her brain. He also stabbed her in the carotid, one of the two main arteries that carries blood to the head. Many of the wounds, especially those in her right neck and right shoulder, were close together, most likely resulting from being rapidly inflicted stab wounds. She also suffered a severed hyoid bone, as well as stab wounds to her face, neck, shoulder, torso, back, lung, leg, and feet. She bled profusely, ultimately dying within 10 to 20 minutes, according to the pathologist who conducted the autopsy. The human body usually holds several litres of blood, but Samantha's body only contained 1.3 tablespoons when they found her. So this was just such a savage overkill attack. I can't, and for so her to, fucking sick. Like. And for it to take 10 to 20 minutes to die, like I know she probably would have been unconscious. I hope she would have been unconscious, but yeah, um, that's but a even long just, We were time. saying how 60 stabs for Orsolia was a lot. This is double. Yeah, he was very angry, and it's it's crazy because he didn't know her. Like with all soldiers, it was to have personal. all this rage. Yeah, he obviously had a lot of pent up rage inside. So police quickly pulled the surveillance video and managed to narrow down the search and like looked for the vehicle that Samantha was seen getting into. He Nathaniel was pulled over very quickly on March 30. He ran away from the police after they stopped him, but they found him at 3 a.m. on that same day. Inside the car, police found a container of liquid bleach, germicidal wipes and window cleaner and the child locks were still activated. They found Samantha's phone in the vehicle along with a large amount of her blood in the passenger seat and trunk and Samantha's DNA was also found under Nathaniel's fingernails. So on July 27, 2021, Nathaniel was found guilty of kidnapping and murdering Samantha and of possessing a weapon during a violent crime. The jury deliberated for about an hour before they found him guilty and the state circuit judge Clifton Newman sentenced him to life in prison. He said, for whoever asked me for leniency, that's not part of my DNA. There's a thousand trails each that led to you, all the evidence, each speck of the evidence, not simply beyond a reasonable doubt, but as the highest standard the law requires, all points to your guilt. And the judge also said that Nathaniel was heartless 
and that the case was, quote, the most severe murder he had seen in the court before. I hate how there's no motive. I wish, not that it would change anything or make a difference, but I'm just so curious as to why. Yeah. Like, why this poor random girl? Yeah, like you, yeah, I don't know. I struggle to understand. Well, I, you know, I can't understand it either. I would, yeah, just so much overkill and so much rage. And it just seemed like such a freak accident. Like, she's looking for an Uber. He's there. Did he go there planning to kill someone? Or was, was he just mad at the time at something? It just seems so insane. So there was some good to come out of this horrible tragedy, which I can't even imagine the strength of her family to turn it into something somewhat good. So Samantha's parents established the What's My Name Foundation, which works to educate people around rideshare safety. And in June, on June 5, 2019, the Samantha L. Josephson Ride Sharing Safety Act was signed into law in South Carolina. The act requires rideshare vehicles to display license plate numbers on the front, which is always crazy to me because here, if you don't have a license plate on the back and the front of your car, you'll get pulled over and fined. You, you, you will too here, but people, some people just don't. Mm. Um, so it says the law also subjects people who misrepres- misrepresent themselves as authorized kind of rideshare drivers to a maximum $500 fine, which doesn't seem like a huge deterrent, but I guess it's better than nothing. And those who use ride-sharing applications to kind of conduct criminal activities to a maximum of a $1,000 fine and that they may be incarcerated for up to 30 days, between 30 days and two years, so depending on kind of their misrepresentation of the ride-share. Also in June 2019, the New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy signed Sammy's Law, which requires more identification on ride-share vehicles. Companies must issue them with two credential placards. So, you know, when you you see it's got Uber or Lyft in the window, Mm -hmm. just so you know that they're legit. And that companies must also give rideshare drivers two barcodes that passengers can scan to confirm the driver's identity. And because of Samantha's murder, they also created the Passenger Protection Act in North Carolina. And that says basically that the rideshare drivers need to put a license plate number on the front of their vehicles and also have illuminated signs in their vehicles. And that that act also allowed for $500,000 in grants for colleges to educate students about rideshare safety. So I guess, you know, those are just some things that may prevent this happening to other people or other women. I have noticed more when I'm even just driving around that more Uber and Lyft drivers do have those little signs now, which is definitely good. Uber does have some safety features in the app. Um, They don't really seem too life-saving but better than nothing the one that does seem decent is you have trusted contacts so you it says let the people you love know where you are choose your trusted contacts in the app and set reminders to share your trip details with them so i haven't used uber for a while but i know i set it up and i think it's more like you have your trusted contacts you like tell them you're getting in an uber and like where you're going and it sends them kind of like the information so then when you don't turn up or something happens at least they have that to look back on Another one is the driver profile, which if you use the app you've seen, you can see their picture, their rating, how many trips they've done, how long they've been doing it, and compliments from previous riders. There's also speed limit alerts, which that's not going to save my life, but well, I mean, I guess it could. But <laughs> And then it's like 24-7 customer support, whether you have a quick question or an instant report, it's easy to get help. So like you could go on instant messenger on the app to talk to customer service, which again is like, thanks. Real-time ID check. You can be sure the right person is behind the wheel. Drivers' identities are regular, regularly verified by matching a selfie to their official profile photo. Not really sure what that means, but I guess it's something that they check. Yeah, so, yeah. Phone number, anonymization, calls, 
and messages made to the Uber app do not reveal the person's phone number. So it's like a relay thing. I know like DoorDash and Uber Eats and all those things do that. Gives you like an anonymous phone number. And emergency assistance. Get help fast. Call local emergency services right from the app wherever you are. It's like, wouldn't it be faster just call 911 from my phone than go on the app? And it, um, This is kind of um, connected or, you know, relevant to the Bowman episode that we did a few weeks or months ago mm-hmm, I was where that too. he texted 911 and that he was in an Uber. But as far as I can tell, that Uber driver hasn't been very responsive or very cooperative either. So I feel like some of this is probably just for show. Um and that mm-hmm. there's also, like, in the in the cases that we've spoke about earlier, like with Ella, there's no actual way to either verify riders. Mm-hmm. All you need is your credit card, and that's basically it to sign up. So yeah, yeah. like I, I I think they are making an effort, and the things that they have implemented are important. But I feel like there's a long way to go in terms of the safety of everyone, the drivers and the riders. Yeah, I feel like it's like, hey, look, we're trying, but then it's like the. Emergency. We've talked about it before the emergency features on my cell phone. I would use before I used the Uber app. The one yeah. like, on my phone, I could hit the power button quickly like five times, and it'll alert who I have set as my emergency contacts, like my location. It'll like start recording. It'll start taking pictures, and I'll send it all to them. Like I'd rather do that because it's like a quick action versus opening the Uber app and trying to figure out how to contact someone at Uber. Things. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Samantha's case is just horrific. Um, some good came out of it, I guess, in the end, but a very, very sad one. So the next one we're going to talk about is Felisa Johnson. She is a 24-year-old woman who has been missing since April 15th, 2022. This one's a little different. A rideshare is involved, but not as directly as the other ones. Yeah. I feel like this is just such a crazy case and every, like people are like, this is horrible and it's so, so horrible, but there's just no media coverage or real attention yeah. being given to this case. So I feel like it should be blowing up. Like, I don't know why it's not. Because it's, um, was it missing white woman? Yeah, missing white woman syndrome. Yeah. But this is another one kind of similar to Samantha where it was just the way that this all lined up perfectly is insane. Like the stars aligned in a bad way. It's a case getting national attention, the disappearance of Felicia Johnson. The 24-year-old came to Houston from California on April 13th. Two days later, she goes missing. Her family believes she was at Cover Girls on West Little York. But Casey Wallace, the attorney for the Adult Entertainment Club, tells KHOU 11 the hostess and manager that night are not sure if she was there. They don't know if they spoke to Felicia Johnson or not. Multiple people come in that club all the time. Could one of them have been Miss Johnson? Yes. Johnson's father says his daughter was looking for a job, and when she didn't get it, she called for an Uber. But when it ran late, she got into another man's car. So like I said, she's 24 years old, missing since April 15th, 2022. She is originally from California, and she just traveled to Houston, Texas. So some reports say that she was there to celebrate her birthday, and others say she was looking for work. Could have been both. Who knows? I think she was definitely Um, looking for work. She has an Instagram account with the handle Felivia Marie. Her bio says, Felivia Marie, public figure, may every evil eye looking at me turn blind. She's a stunning girl. Like her Instagram, you can check it out. But yeah, she's beautiful. You know, it doesn't really matter, obviously. But yeah, her Instagram, I think, gives you an idea of who she was. On the night of April 15th, Felicia went to the Cover Girls Club. This info about the club comes from clubplanet.com. 
says, it's not your typical gentleman's cabaret. It's not your typical nightclub. It's CoverGirl slash Club Seymour. First premier upscale, multi-level adult entertainment venue of its kind. Located on the first level, CoverGirls has been heralded as Houston's ultimate gentleman's club experience by utilizing this visually captivating 8,000 square foot ultra sophisticated lounge setting. We are then able to provide various amenities and different entertainment options to our guests in order to pamper them and cater to their needs. So basically, it's a nice strip club. Yeah, I think it sounds like from what I've read in comments, it's quite a well-known club in the area. Yeah, it seems kind of like a touristy spot probably yeah. too. Like, So some articles have said that she went there and she applied for a job and was unsuccessful at getting a job. Some just say she applied for the job. So again, it's like hearsay. But it definitely seems like she went there looking for a job. So we don't know if she was looking for like a long term job, like she was going to live there, or if she was just looking maybe for like a couple of nights to work while she was in the area. But either way, when she went to leave the club, she accepted a lift with an unidentified male customer. So she tried to order an Uber, but accepted the other ride because the Uber was taking a long time and it was delayed. So she ended up taking a ride from the stranger. Community activist Quinnell X at a news conference said that since then there's been no cell phone activity, no credit card activity, no social media activity. She has absolutely just vanished off the face of the earth. After her family couldn't get in touch with her, they called police and hired a private investigator. According to an article by KHOU, the investigator was the one to discover Felicia's cell phone. Quinnell said that the cell phone was found discarded on the side of the road at Bear Creek Park and the phone was covered in blood. Quinnell said the family called police and told them about the cell phone, but they initially dragged their feet on the case. Um, He said, Houston Police Department has to take these cases more seriously. This is the fourth one I've dealt with in six months of a missing African-American female. And in every one of those cases of a missing African-American female, HPD has dragged its feet and they did not do anything until I began to go public. I swear he was involved with another case, this guy. Yeah, he seems very very familiar to me. Yeah, I'll Google it while you're talking and see if I can find it. He's very, he talks a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I've definitely seen him before. Well, that's why he's a community activist. Yeah. That's good. Someone needs to do it. Um, so Felicia's father, Kevin Johnson, has been speaking regularly to the media. He said, I can't put into words. I'm trying to hold myself together and not break down. I don't know where my baby is or what's been done to her. Um, he said, I'm trying to hold myself together and stay strong for the family and for you, Kevin said in a message to his daughter. And I won't rest for a day in my life until I have you back. He said his daughter was an aspiring model who loved to do hair and makeup. He said she wanted to be a dancer, model, anything had to do with, anything that had to do with glamour. That's basically who she was, who she is. An article by CNN says that Felicia's personal belongings were found in her hotel room. Not really sure how they define personal belongings. They also had her last name wrong, so not really sure how credible that is. And CoverGirls, the club where Felicia applied for the job, is said to be cooperating, has handed over CCTV to investigators. So hopefully they have maybe the car or something on camera somewhere. Houston's a pretty big city, so there's got to be tons of cameras around. Yeah, you'd think so. On April 27th, which is yesterday, as of right now, the FBI announced that they were joining the search for Felicia. Crime Stoppers has also posted a $5,000 reward for information in Felicia's case. So there has been just a little update or a, another article today and basically a t- the headline is Houston nightclub responds to father's allegation into Felicia Johnston's disappearance. 
says it's been 13 days now that she's been missing and her father has said he feels like he's in the same position that he was in. Um, it took He said it took Houston PD five days before they would begin to investigate her disappearance. Parts that remind me a lot of Lauren Smithfields. Yeah. He has also said that he believes his daughter's disappearance stemmed from criminal conduct and suggested that the Cover Girls Club may bear some of the, play, of the blame. The club has released a statement. I'll read it out. It's not super long. So it goes, first let me see say that the club hopes Miss Johnson is found safe and is reunited with her family. We can understand the frustration of her family members and we want nothing less than Miss Johnson to be found free of harm. Goes on to talk about how they're working with the Houston PD and that they've been transparent and have willingly provided all video surveillance that has been requested without any hesitation. They have also let the police have access to our employees who have also voluntarily provided to the police the information they have. Um, and it says, I will also state that any suggestion that Cover Girls had anything to do with this young lady's disappearance is categorically false. Unsubstantiated allegations and untrue assertions that Cover Girls was in any way involved in Felicia's disappearance are defamatory at best and boasting lies about cover girls will do nothing to help find this young lady it seems like they're cooperating hopefully and that hopefully something will come if the police do continue to investigate it like it's it's strange not strange but interesting to me that like I wonder how long she was at the club for like was she there literally for 10 minutes and went up and said do you have any jobs and they're like no and that was it or um, I don't know, was she there longer? Like I wonder how much information the club would actually have about what happened. Like I'm sure they yeah. would have footage of her maybe getting into a vehicle and maybe that that would be helpful, but I have to wonder how much actual other information they have. Yeah. What time did this happen, do we know? No, I've never ever seen what time it, it happened, confirmed what time it happened. I'm assuming it would be night time. It just reminds me how we talked about in the episode with Michael Vaughn and Dulce, how predators and people who are looking for trouble know where to go find it. So it's like how in that episode we we're saying like the pedophiles who want to look at the kids, maybe steal a kid, they go to the park, they hang out, look for their opportunity. In this situation, it could have been a guy who wanted to abduct a girl. He's going to go to places where there's probably girls that are drinking, girls that are vo- more vulnerable. So he could have just been waiting outside for his perfect opportunity too. I've actually just found an article. It says 1.30 a.m. Yeah. So. So it says... Yeah, around 1.30 a.m., Felicia was said to be outside waiting for an Uber. She hasn't been seen since. Yeah, so the guy could have just been a creep. Watching her all night and saw his opportunity and thought, yeah. So just a reminder of the circumstances. 24-year-old Felicia Marie Johnson was last seen leaving the 10,300 block of West Little York Road in Houston, Texas on April 15, 2022. Felicia has long black hair. It could be curly or straight, brown eyes, and a dark complexion. She has a large tattoo of a butterfly and two roses on her right shoulder. It's unknown what clothing she was wearing at the time of her disappearance. I feel like it should be known if she was on CCTV and in the club, but... Yeah, for yeah. some reason they haven't released it. All right, that's it with the rideshare stories. So I hope it's a good reminder to everyone that, yes, we should all be able to take an Uber and feel safe, but sometimes bad people manipulate the system and want to take advantage of you and hurt you. So just be careful out there, as always. There's a um, I think that there's a few ways you can kind of maximize your safety when you're ride sharing. I found a good article, which I'll put on the blog, but things like check the license plate, which is pretty obvious. Ask for verification. You know, as they said, some some ride shares give you a barcode that you can scan and different things like that. Um, share your plans with whoever, like your boyfriend or your partner or your you know friend, and let them know where you're going. And also tell the driver that you've shared your plans, so that they mm. know they're kind of being not to mess with you yeah 
Yeah. And always, I know it's not always an option, but just not being alone, going with someone else if you can, I feel like that always lowers the risk of something happening to you. Yeah, definitely. There's another big case that's been happening right now that we want to talk about. So this is separate from the ride sharing stories. This is more like a update current case that we just wanted to talk about a little. And that is the case of Alana Lily Peters. She's a 10-year-old girl from Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. So we first heard about this case um, after Lily was reported missing on Sunday night, April 24. She had apparently been at her aunt's home and was due to return to her own home, which was just blocks away, but she never made it. Um, I had a look at Google Maps. Literally, it's a two-minute bike ride, one-minute ride, six-minute walk. So like this gives you an idea of how close it was to her own home. It was thought that Lily left her aunt's place at the time at around 4 or 5 p.m. on that day, and her father reported her missing at 9 p.m. after she didn't come home. I've seen a few people be like, why didn't they report her missing earlier? I think there was maybe a little bit of miscommunication about what time she may have left, so maybe the dad didn't realize that she had apparently left at 4 or 5. He thought she'd left later, and, you know, anyway. But Again, it's like the last thing you expect. We've talked about this in other episodes. You're not immediately like, oh, my God, something terrible has happened. You might have just thought she was still out playing especially in a one minute distance scenario yeah with family members yeah yeah well (laughs) but um, lily's bike was quickly found abandoned in a wooded area the woods were searched by canine teams from the chippewa county sheriff's office and chippewa falls police department and a sheriff's office drone was also deployed to search they went through the area to door to door during the night looking for lily unfortunately lily's body was found the next day monday april 25 at around 9 15 a.m it was found not too far away from her bicycle The mysterious murder of a 10-year-old girl heading home on her bike is triggering a warning by police. Stay vigilant. Lily Peters, a bright-eyed fourth grader, was last seen getting on her bike at her aunt's house in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, Sunday night. Her house is just four blocks away. But somewhere along the short route, she was apparently abducted. Her bike was found several hours later, just a half mile away near a walking path. The next day, the child's body was found near the bike. Her mom's heart-wrenching cry when she was given the news was captured on the police dispatch. A couple subjects in the woods. Now the hunt is on for Lily's killer in small-town America. Police say they're stepping up patrols and pursuing multiple leads in this tight-knit community that has been left shaken. Police held a press conference a few hours later and said, At this point, we are considering this homicide investigation. Police Chief Matt Kelm said at the press conference, we do not have anyone in custody at this time and we are continuing to follow up on multiple leads. Police held a second news conference that day around 5 p.m. The police chief spoke again and he declined to say what evidence at the scene led investigators to say that Lily's death was a homicide so quickly, but that the conclusion was quickly made once we located the deceased. He also didn't give any information about what time Lily apparently left her aunt's house or any other details about the timeline. Um, They were kind of closed-lipped at that point. There was a lot of panic in the area. Chippewa Falls Area Unified School District admin said that parents should pick up and drop off their kids instead of letting them walk to school. And the school's admin also requested additional law enforcement at, you know, be around the schools and watch. I can't even imagine how terrifying that would be. Like my daughter's the same age. 
you would never, like I'm assuming most people would never expect something like this to happen in the area where they live. So it sounds like it was terrifying for them. Mm -hmm. Things thankfully moved very quickly in Lily's case and police held another press conference at 6.30pm on the day that her body was found. They announced that a male juvenile had been connected, uh, sorry, arrested in connection with Lily's murder. They said at the time that he had been arrested from the aunt's house, but they wouldn't confirm if he knew Lily or what his relationship with her was. A bond hearing was held on Wednesday, April 27, for the suspect who we learned was 14 years old and his initials were listed as CPB, which are the same initials as one of Lily's cousins. A cash bond was set at $1 million. He is facing three charges of first-degree intentional homicide, first-degree sexual assault and first-degree sexual assault of a child under the age of 13, resulting in great bodily harm. Two of the charges carry a maximum of life in prison. Um, According to the DA at this time, the suspect left his house with the intent of raping and killing Lily. He punched her, knocked her down, hit her with a stick, strangled and then sexually assaulted her. Um, If he is released on bond, the suspect is not to have any contact with juveniles, not permitted to be around weapons. He is, however, allowed to have supervised visits with his juvenile siblings. Um, He will be tried in an adult court. A status hearing has been set in court for May the 5th. All right, back to Lily. So some more information did come out today. Um, I don't think much more will come out because now it seems like most of the info is out there. So this afternoon, it came out that um, the identity of her cousin that they arrested, they said police arrested Carson Peters Berger, who was 14 in the connection with her murder. What makes this, not that it's already not insane, but just to add more gasoline to that fire it turns out that his father was a convicted pedophile as well so adam berger he was 37 he spent three years in jail after being caught with a stash of pornographic images of girls along with pictures of crack cocaine and also just again this is child sex abuse things like that so it's not too too graphic but if that upsets you maybe just fast forward a little bit according to the documents there was 10 pornographic photos showing very young girls and spread like positions that were found on his phone again this is the father of the, the boy who killer. murdered yeah. lily allegedly so the son is facing a possible life sentence and he's being charged as an adult In court, the prosecutor said he planned to rape and kill the victim from the get-go when he left the house with the victim to go down the trail. There's articles online. We'll link them in the blog. I don't want to get in too much of the detail about the child sex abuse images and things like that, but there's drugs involved. There's young kids involved, and it's just gross. Like There's a lot of details out there, so if you are curious to know more about it, it's online, and we'll link it. The article I'm reading is from the Daily Mail, who I know people eye roll at, but they do have a lot of information because I think they have the court documents. But so the son, Carson Peters Berger, Berger, 14, he is being charged with first degree intentional homicide, first degree sexual assault and first degree sexual assault of a child. So it just kind of seems like cycle of abuse thing. Um, very scary that a 14 year old could just plan ahead of time be like i'm gonna go out i'm gonna trick my cousin and i'm gonna beat her up and murder her and sexually assault her at 14 years old it's um interesting to me that they've released his name and like i feel like they don't often do that in a minor case so like you know i don't know and they didn't at the start either so i wonder what's changed and that they are now able to release his details they're so quickly charging him as an adult which i think is kind of deserved but yeah, just seeing. I feel like the crime is just so heinous and terrible that 
they just were like, fuck it. Yeah. Um, but it's sad because clearly I'm sure he didn't have a great childhood and I didn't read them all, but the details of some of the child sex abuse stuff that the father had is absolutely disgusting. So I'm sure this kid also had a tough life that kind of turned him into a monster, it seems. There's actually some quotes about that. Um, His grandmother said that when the dad went to jail, Carson has not been very happy with his father being gone. We have seen him out and about with his mom. He never looks happy. He doesn't smile. He's always quiet, looks at the ground and doesn't talk. And I'm sure he knows why his dad is in jail, which is probably just a tough thing to know. Maybe that's why he could have some resentment towards young girls. Yeah. I don't know. Didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's just horrible. Um, it's just one of those cases where every time there was a new update, it got more and more horrific and terrible. I'm, I'm glad that there was a quick resolution and a quick arrest anyway. That was one good thing for the community, at least, to not have to be on kind of tenterhooks and wondering who it was. Yeah, and just one of those things where it's like there's nothing not that you can ever really prevent it because you know not victim blaming or anything but it's one of those things where with the uber stories you could be like tips to try to keep yourself safer in an uber tips to try to keep yourself safe when you're out alone but this was just like she was with her family who you would think she was safe with she was very close to her home and she was just like riding her bike around with friends you just don't ever think something like that would happen yeah very very sad the more i've always been into true crime but some days i'm like I need to stop reading this stuff because mm. it's giving me such bad anxiety sometimes about <sighs> doing anything. Or Yeah. Like a, a lot of people messaged us to ask if we were going to do an episode on Lily's case. I don't think, like, because it was over so quickly, we've covered the main details. Um, I'm glad that we got to share her story, but it's just horrific how her life ended. That's all we're going to talk about in this episode. Everything that we talked about will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. Pictures of the missing or victims of these crimes if you want to see them any other photos cctv social media posts all that'll be on the blog follow us on instagram that's where we post the most and the quickest updates at true crime society we're always posting in our stories you can follow our personal accounts at tcs olivia or steph underscore they're both linked in the true crime society bio you can also check out our forum that is where there's a lot of chatter about these cases. Like, I know there was a really in-depth thread about Lily, lots of screenshots, lots of things to look at on there. If you want to learn more about any cases, it's a good place to go because it kind of gets rid of the fluff of the the Facebook rubberneckers, I'll call them, where they, they're not really <laughs> interested in true crime, but they just want to comment and, like, leave their prayers or <laughs> somehow like, stumble across it. They yeah. stumble across a post and they feel like they have to comment, whereas – Yell know. at people. <laughs> um, so definitely check that out, truecrimesociety.com, and leave us a rating, a review. You can leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating on Spotify. And if you can, share the podcast, share it on your Instagram stories, Facebook, wherever you have the most people that are going to see it because then maybe your friends will see it and then they'll all listen to it. And then you guys can all talk about it. And then their other friends are going to want to listen and it'll be great for everyone. So if you can keep sharing and subscribe too, because like I said before, that helps us out. Like I know it seems like a silly thing to do. That doesn't matter, but does help podcasters out a lot if you subscribe. And also if you check out the sponsors that were in this episode, if any of them picked your interest, check them out, please, and use our codes. Um, Some of them are really great, good discounts. And if you do get anything, let us know. We'd love to talk about it, share it. All the codes, links, whatever, they'll be in the episode description. We also post them on our Instagram, so you can find them all there. 
I did forget to say about StoryWorth, it is a really good last minute gift because this episode's going to come out just a few days before Mother's Day, but StoryWorth starts out being digital. So if you're suddenly scrambling, like, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to get, this it starts out as emails. So there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. We <laughs> saved you. But I think that is everything. We'll be back next week with another true crime episode if you guys have any ideas or anything you want to hear about shoot us an instagram message and maybe we'll we'll do a podcast on it um but thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you guys next week see ya bye